Welcome to the podcast, A Colored Girl Speaks, meditations on race and other magical things, a collection of personal essays on race, culture, and politics through the prism of identity, memory, and history, an intimate and often painful commentary on race in America and the way forward. Essays are by Andrea Hunter and are narrated by Tierra Moore. So, at last, this colored girl speaks. Episode 9, The Yellow Sentinels. All summer long, the grounds of A.L. Lewis Elementary School were pruned and prodded. Fresh paint was applied inside and out until it glistened. I knew what this was for. We all did. White children were coming. Brown versus Board of Education of Topeka, Kansas, had finally arrived in Dade County, full stop, and they were sending white children here to the black side of town. Though my mother had volunteered for a pilot program for black teachers to desegregate white schools, and she sent me to do the same at our local white elementary school, white folks stayed in place and out of ours. That such a fuss was made over white children surprised no one, not even me or any other black 11-year-old going on 12. So this warranted little comment other than knowing nods and the suck of the teeth. It was still a truism that white people got better because they were thought to be better. I knew about prejudice and racial hatred and knew about the KKK, but I would learn something else that summer. As the days went by and I watched from my bedroom window, I thought of all the things black students would have now because white children were here. My unease grew as boxes were bought into the school. New books, it was said, and who knew what else? Then it happened. As the end of summer approached, the utility-type trucks positioned themselves at the intersection of Lucy Street and 6th Avenue, an intersection notorious for the screeching, explosive crunch of cars colliding. Not a quiet whoosh of 21st century alloy frames making contact, but steel-on-steel crashes, the kind of sound that would wake you from your sleep. Knowing this, children approached the intersection with caution and, as necessary, with speed. I watched them that day as cables and lights were hung. At first, I could not believe or did not want to believe what this meant. They began installing a modern traffic light right at the intersection. The same day or the next, silver posts arose with square yellow heads, crossing lights like sentinels to be the guardian of white children. My heart sank. It was the first time I knew that black children were not seen as worthy of protection, not like white children, and that we did not hold the same value as them. The paint, the books, landscape, and those trucks They had not been kept away by the KKK, nor were they a materialization 
of MLK's dream. Everything had not come because little black girls and little white girls were soon to sit together in equanimity, as King hoped, but rather because white children were entitled to more. I felt small and without a place in this world, in a way I never had. There was nothing to publicly mark this moment with but my own mind, and it was not marred by physical violence, though there was injury to the spirit. It was a lesson about the value of black life that grew deeper, and I began to understand the most important thing about how race is configured in America. It is a necessity for cruelty and makes the vilest things just. In my house, there was little talk of the way white people were, except as an occasional foil in a family story. White folks, it was said, were lacking in the understanding of their own folly. As Alberta Roberts remarked in John Gwaltney's Trilongso, the difference between black and white folks is that we know when we are playing. Which is another way of saying white people have a way of mistaking the play acting they do in this world and taking it to be truth. But there was never any talk about hating white people as this is wrong and unchristian and a mighty waste of time. This day was the first I thought of white people as different from us, not different in the potential to make good or bad in this world as any human being could, but different in the power to take a bad thing and christen it as good. And it took not a few people, but many to do this. The profaneness of this was its own injury. It mattered not how well I spoke or behaved, no matter how smart or how high my reading group, nor the pride my family felt and the hardness with which they worked, or even if they dreamt the most American of dreams. The wickedness of race stood. For all those years that I knew, trucks were never sent for me, nor all the colored, Negro, and black children who ever sprinted the divide across Lucy Street and 6th Avenue. White lives mattered more. I learned that day, a lesson that required no hashtag. This brings us to the end of this episode of A Colored Girl Speaks, Meditations on Race and Other Magical Things. Your time, the listen, and your engagement are most appreciated. To connect with the essayist and a broader community of listeners, please visit the website andreahunter.com or connect with us on Twitter, A Colored Girl Speaks, at I am Andrea Hunter. And subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Spotify. Until we gather again, share your stories and meditations. And ask for those stories not yet given. Mm-hmm.